Welcome to episode number 33 of the Going for Greatness podcast. My guest today is the very definition of paying it forward. His name is Jay Feinberg. Jay is the founder of the Gift of Life Bone Marrow Registry, one of the largest in the world. His organization fights many cancers and blood-related diseases through matching donors with recipients, people who are possibly going to die unless they find that very, very vital, perfect match. Gift of Life is now moving into research and development into next generation of cell and gene therapy. His worldwide organization has changed so many lives. Jay has been called out with accolades from presidents of the United States to private donors to universities. It is my great pleasure to share a few highlights of some of the successes that Jay Feinberg has had through the Gift of Life Bodebaro Registry. And here is what the doctor told young 20-something Jay Feinberg. Go home, prepare my bucket list, and then do all the things that I wanted to do in life while I had the chance. Once again, the Holocaust plays a crucial role in survival. But unfortunately, due to the impact of the Holocaust on severing bloodlines, it would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Here is the last highlight, and it's really important. Donating stem cells could not be simpler than relaxing in a chair. Take a listen. And boy, so many of us, me included, are completely misinformed. The donor is watching Netflix. They're eating fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. And now without further delay, here is my conversation with the amazing Jay Feinberg. He is the founder and CEO of Gift of Life. He's a 27-year leukemia survivor, and this man has the most incredible, perhaps greatest story of them all. So it was the early 1990s. I was about a year out of college. Like pretty much any college student, you know, fresh out of school, they're, um, you know, engaged and and ready to take on the world and feel like nothing can stop them. I was um, working in uh, lower Manhattan in New York in the financial services field. I had just been accepted to law school. I also felt like I was ready to take on the world, like a lot of you know college students fresh out of college. And unfortunately, that all uh, came to a screeching halt when um, I was diagnosed with leukemia and told that my only hope of a cure was a uh, bone marrow transplant. So you were out of college, ready to hit law school, and you got sick and you got this yep. horrible diagnosis. I was I was sure, despite the diagnosis, I was um, reassured that uh, you know that at least there was a treatment that could help cure me of my disease, and that was a a bone marrow or stem cell transplant. A thirty percent chance you'll find a um, a suitable donor, a matching donor in your family. So we immediately tested my my siblings and my immediate family members. Unfortunately, none of them were a match for me. I remember the first uh, appointment that we had at a large cancer center in New York, where the uh, the doctor crowded my uh, my parents and my two brothers and I in a little small exam room and uh, and shared with us that uh, that none of them were a match, none of the family members were a match, and unfortunately, in running a search of the of the registry as it existed at the time, very small compared to the way it is today, there was uh, no unrelated donor who was a match either. 
And he said that uh, he didn't think I would find a match and I should go home, prepare my bucket list, and then do all the things that I wanted to do in life while I had the chance, you know, that the chemotherapy would, uh, would keep the disease under control for some time, but ultimately it wasn't a cure and I would succumb of the leukemia. When I asked him why he didn't think I would find a match, he shared, shared something that was a shock to me. He shared uh, that it was because of my ethnic background, because I was uh, Eastern European Jewish, Ashkenazi Jewish. When I asked him why, that's when he explained to him that he explained to uh, to me and my family that uh, tissue type is inherited, like eye or hair color. So your best chance of finding a genetic match is with someone who shares a similar ethnicity. And uh, and for me, that was someone who was Eastern European Jewish, but unfortunately, due to the uh, impact of the Holocaust on severing bloodlines, it would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Wow. And as you had mentioned, you know, I had a family who was um, very proactive, very much involved in my search. And, you know, the doctor in the room knew a lot about stem cell transplants and leukemia, but what he didn't know much about was what I lovingly refer to as the Jewish mother effect. (laughs) And, uh, she was not willing to take no for an answer. And so, uh, so we went home that evening to my, my parents' home and around their dining room table decided to, uh, to start Gift of Life, which at the, at the time was called Friends of Jay. And we figured that if I couldn't find a match in the registry as it existed at that time, we were going to run donor drives and increase the size of the registry with the hope of finding a match, not only for me, but also for all of the other patients out there who were in similar circumstances. And that's really how it, uh, it all began. It was very, very grassroots no social media, no way to uh, to do this electronically through the um, through the web or the internet or anything like that. Big posters and flyers in the community and storefronts and things like that, and local human interest stories and things. Very very grassroots, but it uh, it just exploded and it became huge. How long did it take for your donor Becky to arrive on your doorstep, so to speak? <laughs> So it was about four years into my diagnosis and the, uh, the chemotherapy, the doctor was right. The chemotherapy, um, uh, stopped working and my disease started to accelerate and I still had not found a, um, a perfect match yet. We decided to go with a donor who was a multiple mismatch, wasn't ideal, far from ideal, but the best possible chance that I had when a college student from Toronto named Benji reached out to us. And we had told him, we said, look, Benji, you know, we already, we've made a decision to go with a mismatch. You can go ahead and do a drive if you want to. Um, Maybe it'll help someone else out there. And um, when we asked him how he heard about me and how he got involved, a friend of his in Toronto um, needed a transplant and his donor came from a drive that was run for for me. So he wanted to pay it forward. He wanted to uh, to help in return for the match that was found for for his good friend. So he went ahead and he did the drive. Um, he was from Chicago. The drive was at um, was at a uh, a school, a yeshiva in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, and he brought some volunteers with him the morning of the drive. One of them was a uh, a young lady who was filling in for her sister who was supposed to go, and they tested 130 um, people. And this young lady, her name is Becky, decided at the very end of the drive, she was handing out flyers and helping out. She decided to get tested. And she was the very last person tested at the very last drive that we ran. And she turned out to be my miracle match. 
subsequently had a transplant. I have to unpack all of that. That is unbelievable. I I know you've got a documentary coming out in 2024 called One in a Million, which is the story of your life and Becky saving you. Just really basically, what does it mean to test to see if you're a match? I read about cheek swab. How does that work? Is it a scary process for someone who might want to be a donor? Yeah. So first of all, obviously, the test to join the registry is just a cheek swab. It used to be a blood sample, but um, for the past 20 years, we've been doing it through you know, DNA, molecular typing, which, which involves just a swab of your cheek. And, uh, and the donation process has changed significantly, too. And a lot of people don't rec- realize that. You know, there, there's a lot of perception issues, misunderstandings about what's involved in in donating your stem cells to a patient who needs a transplant. A lot of people get their information these days from from social media or from you know from TV shows that they watch um, or movies that they that they see in the theaters, and some of them, you know, involve transplants and portray them as very scary procedures where. They have to break your bones to take out the marrow or stick a big needle in your spine or something horrific like that. And it couldn't be any further from the truth. Tell me, what is the reality of gathering? These days, donors, we, we take the stem cells from their blood. So it's very much like donating platelets in a blood center, if you've ever seen anybody doing that. So if you can picture it, you're in a big leather recliner chair. You, are, uh, you have a machine next to you that's a centrifuge, basically, spinning blood very quickly. You've got a needle in each arm, and uh, the blood is taken out of one arm, run through the centrifuge. We take the white blood cells, the stem cells, from the from the blood that's processed, and the rest goes back in the other arm. But while this is all happening, the donor is watching Netflix. They're eating fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. Um, you know, they can play video games. They can they can have their computer in front of them. You know, they for for a couple of hours. Uh, they're just sitting in the recliner chair, just being entertained until the procedure is over and they go home and uh, and they go about their normal lives. They go back to school, they go back to work. And that's the process that's involved in saving a life. It's very different than what you see, you know, what Holly, the way that Hollywood per- portrays it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I cannot believe how simple it is. I mean, it's essentially giving blood. That's That's what it is. Yeah. Is there any issue with respect to privacy since you're gathering people's DNA? Yeah. So uh, like any other um, tissue bank or organ procurement organization, we follow very, very strict uh, privacy and confidentiality practices. First and foremost, donors are, are identified by a unique identification number, not by name. Second, uh, donor information is uh, secured through encrypted databases that are locked down. Only staff who have a need to know involved in our donor center, the case managers who are working with the donor and nobody else. And uh, and the only way that a donor and recipient can actually even get to know each other would be a year after the transplant if both the donor and the recipient sign a consent form to mutually agree to exchange their identifications with each other, their, their personal identifiers with each other. In other words, if if the donor and recipient sign each sign consent forms, they get to meet. But other than that, uh, a person's information is very, very secure, very locked down, need to know only, encrypted, very, very private, and follows all of the regulatory requirements, both in the United States and in Canada. For example, it would start with a cheek swab. And then if a match is found, 
then you go on to the second and final part, which is the gathering of the uh, stem cells. Exactly. So how do you go about finding donors? I I read something about going to college campuses. And what's your source of finding donors? Transplant physicians tend to prefer requesting younger donors because the uh, the younger you are, the more stem cells your bone marrow produces. So uh, so we recruit very heavily naturally on college campuses where students are in their, you know, uh, are 18 to, to 21 years old and uh, the ideal candidates for joining the registry. They're also ideal because you know, they're very social, they're very um, social advocacy and social justice oriented for, the, you know, a lot of students. And, uh, and what we're doing is really trying to democratize um, healthcare, democratize cell therapy by providing an e- equal opportunity for a match to every patient in need. Uh, we have about 350 college students on about 120 campuses um, throughout North America who recruit donors for us, about 50,000 donors a year. We have other recruitment initiatives. For example, for the past uh, almost two decades, we've been we've been swabbing the um, the students who go to Israel on Taglit Birthright Israel, thanks to uh, Charles Bronfman who opened the door back in um, 2004 2005. It's a great experience. We're actually coming up within the next couple of days on our 100,000th birthright donor. Unbelievable. Share with me the statistics if you will, about leukemia and and curing blood cancer, how many people has Gift of Life helped so far? We have transplanted um, just under 5,000 patients out there who uh, we've been able to find a match for and have received their life-saving transplants. It's it's an incredible thing to uh, to be a part of and to uh, witness donors coming into our um, offices here every day to donate their stem cells. Um, it's just uh, very very special. So if we were sitting here in five years and you and I were having this conversation again, Jay, what does gift of life look like for you? That's a tongue twister. Been thinking a lot about that and you know ways that we can be proactive to help even more patients out there in need. Because although we've had a lot of success over the years, still many patients can't find their match. Um, And for other patients who can find their match, not all of them, you know, because they have very acute life-threatening diseases, sometimes they won't make it to the point where their match can, can donate the stem cells to save their lives. So we've thought a great deal about how we can contribute to the um, overarching goal of democratizing cell therapy to make it available for every patient in need, regardless of um, whether they have a match or not. And, uh, and the opportunity that came up recently for us was to, um, to ask donors in our registry if they would be willing to donate their, their cells, the same cells that they donate for transplant, if they would be willing to donate those cells for um, research and development and clinical trials that would re- that would ultimately result in t- in next generation cell and gene therapies to be able to treat a lot of these blood cancers, leukemia and lymphoma and all of these diseases that we treat, as well as solid tumors, including you know uh, lung cancer and other solid tumors out there that could benefit. Gift of Life have its own lab and 
cell therapy uh, collection advancement uh, research centers? Yeah, so we're, we're really very much fully integrated here. Um, we uh, not only is our registry and our donor center, the people who do the case management, the nurse practitioners, the nurses, and the case managers are all located here, but um, so is our stem cell collection center. Um, where we collect the stem cells and our uh, cellular therapy laboratory, Gift of Life's Center for Cell and Gene Therapy, is on the first floor of our building, where we uh, we do um, conduct uh, research, certain research projects, um, but we also have a clinical laboratory and we for uh, testing that's involved with the um, the cell collection procedure, and we also um, do cell isolation, uh, cell processing. Um, we, um, we're, we're starting a biobank within the next uh, six months or so um, to provide uh, stem cell products, what we call off the shelf uh, for patients in need and for cell and gene therapy developers. Um, so we really do a lot of this in-house, but we also work very closely with, um, with uh, cell uh, and gene therapy developers, biopharmaceutical firms who are developing these next generation therapies to help more patients in need. Um, we work with academic institutions and research institutions. It's a very exciting time. Really, really is. We see um, over that the course of the next five to 10 years, tremendous, um, tremendous changes in the way that we'll be able to help patients. I know you wanted to be a lawyer years and years and years ago, 27 years ago, but I, I kind of feel like this is really your calling. It's truly amazing how how many lives you've saved through really the sheer determination of helping others find donors. It's incredible. I know you've gotten many, many, many awards from presidents of the United States, and the list is very long of the accolades for, for Jay Feinberg. Can you share a story with me of someone in particular that Gift of Life has helped recently? You know, as we speak right now, we've, we have several donors in our stem cell collection center who are donating their stem cells um, today. And there are couriers um, downstairs waiting in our lab for those stem cells to be collected so that they can take them on airplanes to their destinations all over the world. So, you know, lives are saved every, every single day. Each one is just is, is a true miracle because it involves donors who don't know these people's identities, and yet they've done this for complete strangers. And, uh, and, and that's really what it's all about. It's, a, it's about saving lives every single day. And now, as you know, as you mentioned, what's our goal in in five years and ten years? It's it's making more of that happen through new and innovative um, technologies that are at our disposal, but all require cells from healthy volunteer donors, and that, that's what it's all about. What I learned from this conversation is just how incredibly easy it is to donate stem cells. Really, it's a cheek swab to identify. And then a couple of hours watching Netflix. My last question is, if someone wants to help beyond being a donor, what should they do for Gift of Life? There are many ways that people can get involved. They can take action immediately and go on our website, giftoflife.org, and order a cheek swab kit so that they can join the registry. We'll send it to their home. They do their cheek swab themselves, and they send it back, and we, we put them in the registry after we test the the, uh, the cheek swab sample. 
They can donate for a particular patient who needs a transplant. They get called as a match. They can donate for research and development in clinical trials that will result in next generation therapies to help countless patients out there in the future. And if they're not eligible to join the registry or donate um, cells for either of these options, they can make a contribution to, uh, to help grow the registry and continue to test the process, the testing of the cheek swabs at the lab. Each test, uh, you know, uh, costs us about $60 and they can, uh, they can help save lives that way. So uh, there's many ways that people can get involved with the organization. Jay Feinberg, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. Gift of Life is just amazing. This podcast is about people who have resilience, grit, and determination, and they move through a really difficult challenge in their life. And I've spoken to many different people who've had so many obstacles before them, and they find their way forward. And you're using your leukemia for paying it forward for the for the future of humanity with gift of life is is truly truly inspiring and i thank you so much and i hope we can talk again thank you so much i really appreciate your time and for uh, for sharing this story and uh, and it was a pleasure to be here with you Thank you for listening to episode number 33 of the Going for Greatness show. If you found value in this, let's help Jay's organization by sharing this podcast with a friend. 